There. Can you hear me now? <laughs> it's good to be here. It is truly a blessing to assemble upon the first day of the week to celebrate the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we uh, begin the study this morning, I want to continue a study that has, we've been uh, going through for the past several months um, to talk about more about Jesus. So it should be each of our desire, each of our desires to know more about Jesus, to know more about his life and who he is and the salvation that we have in him. And really this study began uh, be before we started talking more about Jesus when we studied the prophecies of the Old Testament, but going back to Isaiah and Daniel um, and the prophecies there that we studied about the coming Messiah. Um, I appreciate the, the reading of this morning uh, from Brother Bob. And um, before I get to that, um, the reading of this morning, Jesus, as it says there, went to Nazareth. So this is uh, during a period of time that we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about a little bit about the timeline of, of Jesus's life. And the, you know, the attempt of this study is to go back and to look at the life of Jesus in chronological order uh, and to focus on some events that maybe we're not studying currently in our study of the book of John on Wednesday night. So this is hopefully going to be uh, supplemental to that, to that study, but hopefully something that's very encouraging and helpful uh, for us. In that reading, Jesus, as he begins his ministry in Galilee, he expresses to them the that in him is the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah that talked about his calling to preach the gospel, to heal, to set free, and to save. And he said, today are, th are these words fulfilled in your ears referring to him. Um, and so we want to we want to kind of think about that as we go through uh, the study this morning. Um, again, we began this study some time back, and we've talked about some events in the life of Christ. And again, we're going in chronological order. So a quick uh, review of some of the things that we've talked about. Uh, first of all, we talked about those prophecies of the Old Testament, and we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. So for a period of approximately 3,500 years, God has been giving us a glimpse into his plan of salvation that he would reveal and fulfill through Jesus Christ. And so what we, what we find is that Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is all a fulfillment of God's eternal plan that he planned before the world began and that he gave us glimpses into through the period of the Old Testament through the prophets. <clears throat> so before the New Testament opens, we find the closing of the Old Testament and the words of Malachi where he says that before the day of the Lord, he's going to send the messenger who would come in the spirit, spirit of Isaiah, which we know was John the Baptist. And so as the New Testament opens, there's been a period of 400 years where they have not had a prophetic word from God. We call this the 400 years of silence. And we went through an extensive study 
to talk about the events that happened during that time that where God was preparing the way and preparing people for the fulfillment for the time that Jesus would arrive. And then that silence was broken as the angel Gabriel came to Zacharias, who was the father of John, and that he and his wife had no children at this time, and he was, he was up in age. He was, they were past the years of childbearing, but Gabriel comes to him and, and meets him in the temple as he's going about his duties as a priest, and he frightens Zacharias there, and he tells him that they're going to have a child, and he gives him a prophecy about who that child would be, that he would be the forerunner of the Christ. <clears throat> and so we find that announcement, the breaking of the silence, and then we, we find Gabriel also goes to Mary and announces to her that she is, though she is a virgin, that she is going to be with child, and that child is going to be the son of the holiest, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, holiest of all, the almighty God, that he will be the son of God. And so, so Mary... Uh, of course, um, goes through some difficulties because of this. But we find that, that uh, Joseph, Gabriel also appears to Joseph, and he announces to him that don't be afraid to take Mary, who was, who was betrothed to Joseph, to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so Mary and Joseph, we find that at the time that Jesus is to be born, that they travel from Nazareth, where they lived, to Bethlehem. And we find that, again, this is God's providence at work because it was to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born at Bethlehem. So we find Jesus' birth there, and we find the announcement, first of all, to the shepherds. So he who is the Lamb of God who is born to take away the sins of the world. The first announcement of his birth is by the angels to shepherds in the field. And then we studied about the arrival sometime after that of the Magi or the wise men, uh, the first Gentiles who traveled a great distance to come to Jerusalem in search of he who was born king of the Jews. And so we see all of these announcements of the arrival and the ful fulfillment of the time that Jesus was here and that he was here. We talked about Jesus' childhood. We talked about that he grew up in a very obscure place called Nazareth. He, he grew up in a home of godly parents and that he was raised to, to love and to respect God and to, to honor God. And that we find at the age of about 12 as he and his family traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, that he, has, he is found there in the temple discussing the law with, with the doctors of the law, with the scribes. And, he, and he, they are so impressed with the wisdom that he exhibits when his parents question him about why he did not return with them. We remember the, the account. He says, I must be about my father's business. So he recognizes at an early age his mission, his purpose in this life. And so we're going to talk Beyond that now, we're going to talk about uh, Christ's ministry. And so we talked uh, previously about the, that the ministry of Christ is estimated to be a period of three and a half years. And that we, we, that we track that time based on the occurrences of the Passover, the Feast of the Passover in the book of John. And so when we look, there's actually four accounts that are recorded of the Feast of the Passover. And, and so... 
Jesus' personal ministry begins before that first account. And so we talk about, we're going to talk quickly about Christ's ministry before that first Passover. Uh, first of all, that we know that when that time arrived for Jesus to begin his ministry, he traveled from Nazareth to a place near the Jordan called Beth, Bethabara. And there he was baptized by John. So we've read about Jesus' baptism, how the Holy Spirit descended upon him following that in the form of a dove, and that God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That declaration that was seen and recognized by John, that this indeed was the Christ, the one whom he had come to make the way for uh, as John was baptizing there. Last time we, just, we studied about immediately following Jesus' baptism that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and after that he was hungry. And in that state of, of weakened condition, Satan comes to him and tempts him in various ways. And in each temptation, Jesus answers with, it is written. He answers with the, the words of God that were written and recorded in Scripture to avoid and to overcome the devices of Satan. And so we talked about the lessons that we have there and the importance of God's written word, which he, like everything else in his plan, he has created and preserved for you and I today so that we have access to his word, to know his will and his purpose in us and the eternal life that we have in him through Jesus. Following that time of temptation, Jesus returned to the area of the Jordan, so where, where John was. Um, and so we find there as Jesus is, as he's approaching, as he's returning, that John the Baptist has been preaching in the wilderness for some time, and he's been declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand and telling the people to repent and baptizing them with the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And this has drawn the attention of the religious leaders. So we find here our first introduction to the opposition to Jesus, which were the Pharisees, who were the self-appointed keepers of the law and of the religious uh, affairs of the Jews. And so as John is out there preaching and as, as people are following him and as his fame is going abroad, we find that there were Pharisees who came from Jerusalem to the place that John was and began to question him. And they say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no, I'm not. They said, are you the prophet? That prophet that was spoken of by Moses that would be like him, that would be a lawgiver, which also was the Messiah. And John said, no, I'm not him. They said, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. He was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. They said, who then are you? And he said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, making straight, making ready the way of the Lord. For he who comes after me is much greater than me. I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes, he says. So John points to the one who is coming. And the following day, as John is there with two of his disciples, he sees Jesus coming back and approaching. And he says to them, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <clears throat> And so thus begins Jesus' ministry uh, following the time of his, his temptation. We find there that in, in this area, Jesus calls his first disciples. That the, the disciples who were with John as they saw Jesus approaching were Andrew, and the other disciple is unnamed, but 
we suppose it is John because in, it is John who is recording this. And in John's gospel, he never refers to himself. But he sometimes refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But since he doesn't name the disciple here, we assume it is John. So it was John and Andrew who, who were there. And they immediately went with Jesus and they spent a day with him. And after spending a day with him, they were convinced that this is the Messiah. And so what did they do? They immediately, it says that Andrew went and found his brother. The first person he wanted to tell was his brother Peter, that, he had, that we have found the Messiah. Like all of Judea, like all of the Jews, they were looking for the arrival of the Messiah, and they were so excited that they had found him indeed. It doesn't tell us what John does, but it's inferred by the language there that he also went and found his brother, who was James. The scripture doesn't tell us that, but it's kind of inferred by the language that is, that is given there in the book of John. And so the next day we find that two other disciples are called. One is Jesus finds Philip, who is also from the same city in Galilee that Andrew and Peter are from, and James and John. And he tells him to follow him. And what does Philip do? He immediately goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and tells him that, we have found the Messiah. So we find here in total that there are at least five and probably six disciples that Jesus calls to follow him at this time in, in Bethabara, uh, there around the Jordan. And from here, Jesus announces we're going to Galilee. And so Jesus and these first disciples travel back to Galilee, and we find the occasion where they come to Cana, the wedding at Cana. And Jesus performs the first miracle there of turning the water into wine. And then shortly after that, they travel from Cana to Capernaum. Capernaum will eventually be kind of the headquarters of Jesus and the apostles and disciples in Galilee. But they travel to Capernaum, and the scripture tells us he's accompanied by his mother, his brothers, his physical brothers, and his disciples. And so they, they go to Capernaum, but they're only there for a short while because there's an event happening in Jerusalem, and it's the Feast of the Passover. So, so here is that first event. Um, let's see if I can point this out. So just quickly, so again, Jesus starts in Nazareth. He begins his personal ministry. He travels down here to Bethabara where he's baptized. He, he then goes into the wilderness for 40 days, faces the temptation of the devil, returns successfully then back to Bethabara to call the first disciples, travels back up to Galilee, to Cana, to the wedding at Cana, then on to Capernaum, and then in just a short period makes his first travel down to Jerusalem uh, after he begins his, for his personal ministry. So that was that period of time uh, in short order uh, covering the, the, the events in the life of Jesus, the, his personal ministry between that the, the beginning of his ministry in the first Passover. So this is where we begin to track full years. So from Capernaum, they traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. We, Passover. we find this in John chapter 2 and verse 13. So the events that happened in Jerusalem, again, this is his first trip to Jerusalem since beginning his personal ministry. And the first thing that we find that Jesus does is he lays down, he lays down the law so to speak. So he goes into the temple, the holy temple of God. So he goes in there and what he sees going on, which probably he has observed since a child, but now he has the authority to speak out 
against what's going on. So what he sees going on is, is that the priests have, have a business venture going on in the temple. So the priests required that those who came into the temple pay a temple tax. Um, this they referred back to a verse in Deuteronomy, which probably was not intended for this purpose, but they used it for that purpose. And what they also did, most people who were traveling in for these feast days did not have the currency of the temple. The, the temple had its own currency. And so people had the money from where they came, but they could not use that money to pay the temple tax. So they had to exchange that money for the temple currency. And so the priests made a profit on the exchange of that currency. The other thing that was happening is as these people came to Jerusalem for these feast days, they were required to make certain offerings of animals. And so what the priests did is they had those animals for sale in the court of the temple so people could come in, they could pay for these animals, and they could offer the required sacrifices. And that may all sound reasonable and good. And the original intents of doing this were probably sincere, but this again had turned into a business venture. This was no longer the, the, the purpose the, uh, for, for doing this was not so much to fulfill God's will as it was to fill the pockets of the priests. And so what Jesus does is he takes and he makes a whip out of cords and he drives these people out and he drives the animals out and he turns overturns their tables and their, their money boxes pour out. And he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer and you're making it a den of robbers, he said. And so he drives them out. This certainly got the attention. <laughs> This certainly got the attention of the religious leaders. And, of course, they immediately come to Jesus and they say, By what authority, what sign do you show us that shows you have the authority to do this? And Jesus tells them, You can destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they said, It's taken us 47 years to, re to build this temple. And they're referring to the, the physical temple there of Herod that, that Herod had restored for this period of time. And... But Jesus, it tells us, was referring to the temple of his body, that they could to kill his body, but he would be raised again in three days, of course, which was a, his disciples would understand uh, the significance of that after his death, burial, and resurrection. So the other thing that happens here while Jesus is in Jerusalem is that he has the encounter with Nicodemus, where Nicodemus, who was one of the one of the Sanhedrin, he was one of the rulers of the Jews who had witnessed and heard about the things that Jesus was teaching and doing. And he comes to him by night and says, no one can do these things except God be with him. And so he, he seeks to know who Jesus is. And we remember the encounter there. And we won't talk about the details at this time. But following that, Jesus continues his ministry in Judea and in baptizing and this, the scripture says, though he himself only baptized his apostles and that his apostles or his disciples did most of the baptizing there. But, but Jesus' fame again goes abroad and, and, uh, and, and even John the Baptist hears that, John, that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than they are. So his fame is starting to go abroad. He's starting to go abroad. And, but then it says that Jesus return to Galilee. So after a period of time, he decides to go to Galilee. There are a couple of reasons that we find that Jesus did this. The first we find is that it happened around the same time that John the Baptist was arrested. 
So we remember that Herod arrested John the Baptist. So it was, it was after this time that John was arrested. And also the scripture tells us that when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he baptized and made more disciples than John, they left and went back to Galilee. So Jesus at this point was wanting to avoid uh, that which was inevitable, that inevitable clash he was going to have with the Pharisees. Um, and so Jesus knew the period of time that he would be here. He knew this period of his ministry, and it was not time yet to start having that controversy, that, that collision course that was going to be set with the Pharisees that would ultimately result in them putting him to death, which we also know is according to the purpose and plan of God. Uh, on the way back to Jerusalem, we find the occasion where, where Jesus goes through Samaria and the event with the woman of the well, at the well, and the belief, the eventual belief of those of Samaria. Uh, and then he gets back to Galilee. And then, then, of course, we read the reading of this morning, begins that his ministry at this time in Galilee, uh, where he is preaching. And he heals a uh, royal official's serve, uh, son at Cana. So the second miracle at Cana that's recorded there in the book of John. And then they move on to Capernaum. And again, Capernaum will become kind of the headquarters, the place that they go for refuge. This is where uh, Peter, uh, Peter lives. This is, this is where Peter's home is. And so as they go about uh, teaching and preaching in Galilee, they will, they will frequently come back to Capernaum as a place to rest, a place to, to have a little bit of rest. Um, but as he comes back to Capernaum, we find an interesting event. So we've already talked about that Jesus called his disciples, his initial disciples, when he was there in Bethabara, and that they had traveled back to Galilee. Well, sometime during these events, Peter, James, John, and Andrew had gone back to fishing, okay? So they had began following Jesus, but, it, but then they had gone back to, this wasn't a full-time thing, we've got to go do our jobs, we've got to make a living and all those things. And so we find here that Jesus, the account where Jesus is walking, in fact, he's teaching. There's a multitude of people there who've come, and he's teaching by the seaside. And, and there are Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they've, been, they've got their fishing nets. They're out there cleaning them. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. They're kind of discouraged. But then, you know, as they're doing this, there's Jesus standing in close proximity, and he's preaching. He's teaching this multitude of people. And... Jesus calls out to Peter and he says, let me get on your boat. So Jesus, because the crowd is pressing him up against the water, he gets on the boat, goes out a little way, and that becomes his pulpit as he continues his sermon. At the close of his sermon, Jesus tells Peter, let's go out deeper. It's time to go deeper. Let's go out deeper and, and let's, let's catch some fish. And Peter goes, Lord, we've been fishing all night. Peter's a professional fisherman. So is Andrew. So it was James and John. They know these waters. They know where the fish are. They fished all night. They haven't caught anything. Jesus said, go out a little deeper and cast out your net. And Peter says, even though he, this, this isn't a King James quote, but even though it's against my better judgment, because you have said it, I will do this. And so he does. He casts out his net. And before he knows it, that net is so full of fishes that he cannot pull it on the boat. And so he, calls, he calls for James and John who come and help. And it's about to sink both of the boats. And they recognize 
This is no ordinary man. In fact, Peter, recognizing that Jesus is deity, falls down and he said, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, isn't that true? When we come face to face with Jesus, what does it make us recognize? Our greatest need, our human frailty, our human failings, the sin of which we are guilty of, of which we need cleansing, of which we need forgiveness. But Jesus said, as he's called them into deeper water, he's calling them to a deeper purpose. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From that time forward, Peter, James, John, Andrew never left Jesus' side. For the rest of the time of his personal ministry, they were with him. They left their occupation and they followed Jesus. Further events that happen there is that we find that that a man who is possessed of a demon is is, uh, that, that he is that the demon is called out of him, that he is healed, and that Peter's mother-in-law also is healed. We read about those events. And then we read about their first tour of Galilee. So they begin to go out and teaching and healing and preaching throughout the region of Galilee. Near the close of this period, we find the calling of another apostle, and that is Matthew the publican. And we read about that event. And then... We find the close of this first year that uh, many refer to as the year of inauguration in the personal ministry. So, we, so all of these events happen in that first full year between the two Sabbaths. I mean, between the two uh, feasts of the Passover. In Matthew, the fourth chapter, Matthew kind of summarizes this period of time in the, in the teaching tour in Galilee. It says, and in Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. So Jesus is teaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. That kingdom that had been prophesied by Daniel and by Isaiah and by the other prophets of the Old Testament, that it was at hand. And even though the Jewish people looked For this to be a physical earthly kingdom with an earthly king, Jesus is teaching them that this is a spiritual kingdom with spiritual precepts. And so he's teaching the people. And it says, And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people that were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those demon-possessed epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them. He healed them all. Jesus recognized the needs of people and he had compassion on those people to to heal them just as he heals our spirits he heals our souls he provides that spiritual healing that is more important for us it says in great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis Jerusalem and beyond the Jordan so again this is within a year or about a year and a half of when Jesus begins his personal ministry, but his fame has spread like wildfire. So it says that, that multitudes followed him from this region of Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. So, and, and before that, he talks about all the people coming from the north up from Syria. So all of the people in this area, people from all over the known world of where the Jewish people resided 
came to, when they heard about Jesus, they came to see who he was. And his fame, again, spread like wildfire. For just a minute, I want to, as we conclude, I want to talk about something that was very characteristic, a very important part of the ministry of Jesus, and that, were the, and that is the miracles uh, that Jesus performed. Um, there were 34 specifically recorded miracles of Jesus in the Gospels, and that's not counting the resurrection. Some people count more. Some people count 37. Uh, I, I looked at a list that, that counted 34, and, and this, so that may not be a complete list, but somewhere in that range, 34, 37, 40 specifically recorded miracles of Jesus. Um, these miracles showed Jesus' authority over the created world, over things like weather, calming the sea, calming a storm, gravity. He walked on water. Um, he turned water into wine. He fed a multitude of over 3,000 with a little boy's lunch of loaves and fishes. He healed all kinds of diseases and those who had disabilities, and he also showed his power over the spiritual realm in relieving those who were possessed with demons. So all of these things showed Jesus' authority over the created world in the spiritual realm. One of the questions we want to answer is, why did Jesus perform miracles? We're going to look at, as we close here, a specific event that happened at the close of this Galilean tour in this first year of Jesus' ministry. And we want to ask and answer the question, why did Jesus perform miracles? Uh, we want to talk about what were the characteristics of his miracles and what was and is the reaction to the miracles of Jesus. If we turn to Mark, the second chapter in verse 1, the scripture tells us again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. So again, they've been on this Galilean tour and they've come back to Capernaum as a place to rest a little bit, to take a little refuge. But what we find is that that doesn't happen. <laughs> it says, speaking of this same event in Luke, the fifth chapter, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So what did we talk about earlier? When Jesus was down there in Judea, when he, when he knew that he was gaining the attention of the Pharisees, he went to Galilee because he wasn't ready for that confrontation yet. He didn't want that time period to start yet. But through this period of time, as his fame is going everywhere, he's caught the attention of the Pharisees. And so not only are there Pharisees here that are from Galilee, they've come up from Jerusalem and from Judea to find out about Jesus. They're, they want to investigate who Jesus is, what he is teaching, and what is this great following that he has gathered. So they're, they're among this crowd. Back to Mark chapter 2, it says immediately, so when people find out that he's back in Capernaum, he's in this house, which we presume to be the house of Peter. It says immediately many gathered together, and there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. So as these people just fill the house, <laughs> there's no room for people to even get in, and people are standing at the door, and they're looking through the windows. They're trying to get close to Jesus, and he is doing what Jesus does. He's teaching them. 
He says he's teaching, he preached the word, the word of God, the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom of God. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So we recognize this account. We, geez, the house is so full. Here, here are people who have a friend, four men who have a friend who is paralyzed. Now, first of all, we want to recognize these are good friends. The fame of Jesus has gone everywhere. He has been healing people from one end of Galilee to the other, and people have been coming from miles and miles away to be healed by Jesus. He's back in Capernaum where this man has been paralyzed for some time. And his friends know that this is their opportunity for their friend to be healed. And so they bring him to the house where Jesus is, but there is no way they're getting into that house. They're standing room only. And people are crowded at the door. You can't even get to the door. But they've refused to give up. And this, this, ur- this feel of urgency that they have, they know if they can only get this man to Jesus that he will have the opportunity to be healed, that his life can be changed. And so as they're sitting there and they're looking at this situation, one of them apparently has the idea, hey, what if we go up on the roof and we pull the, the parts of the roof away and we're able to lift the tiling or whatever's there, then maybe we can just drop him down right there where Jesus is. Oh, this is not their house. This is somebody else's house. But, but you see the lengths that these men are willing to go to because they rec- recognize that this is their opportunity and they cannot miss this opportunity. And so what they do, yeah, they carry the man up on the roof. They lift him up there probably with ropes. They find, they find the center of the house where they expect that Jesus is and they begin to pull away the roof and they, be, they clear the tiling or whatever it is. Now you can imagine what's happening on the inside. As Jesus is teaching, people are starting to go, what is that? What is that noise? <laughs> and maybe things start to fall and all of a sudden daylight's coming through the roof and they see these men up there pulling things away and they're, they're standing there going, what are these guys doing? And Jesus is observing this. And suddenly they start lowering this man down on a bed, on a pallet with ropes and they're all just amazed at what's going on. But they, they accomplish what they set out to do. They get their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven. Two things to observe here. Number one, when Jesus saw their faith, our faith is observable. Our faith is observable in in the things that we do, in the actions that we take, in the lives that we live. We show our faith, and that's what James said, that you, sh- you show me your faith without your works, you can't do it. I'll show you my faith by my works. Jesus saw their faith, their determination, their faith, their belief that Jesus could heal this man. <clears throat> and as this man is let down and Jesus looks up into the faces of these men who have done this, he sees the hope and the determination and their faith in him that he can heal this man. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man exactly what they did not expect to hear. (laughs) 
he says, man, your sins are forgiven. That was not, that was not, that was not their motivation, right? Their motivation was to, that he, his physical body would be healed, but Jesus was teaching them and everyone else present something much more important. Much more important than the healing of his physical body was the redemption of his soul, was the healing of his spiritual man through the forgiveness that Jesus provided. Again, we go back to what was Jesus' purpose in coming here, to save his people from their sins, to save us from sin. And Jesus is laying bare that purpose for all those who are present, for this man and his friends, for those who sincerely came to hear his word, and for those Pharisees who stood by. Jesus knew the controversy that these words were going to create. That which was totally expected, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They had come to see who Jesus was, to see what all the ruckus was about, what it was it that Jesus was doing, and so they came here to investigate him. And Jesus gave, them, Jesus gave them something to arm them against him if they truly did not believe. And so their logic was simply this. Only God can forgive sins. That's true. This man is not God. That was their logic. Therefore, he is guilty of blasphemy. If only God can forgive sins and this man is not God, then how can he claim the authority to forgive sins? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is to say, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. It was by the authority of Jesus' words that both would be done. And Jesus had said, is it easier for me just to simply say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to say, Stand up and walk and have that happen. Jesus is going to show them that he has the authority to do both. <clears throat> and he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. So that you may know who Jesus was. Why did Jesus perform miracles? First of all, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, just like the one that was in the reading this morning about the things that the Messiah would do. We can also say that Jesus performed miracles because of his compassion, because of his love for mankind. And there were many times that the scripture tells us that Jesus had compassion on those who were distressed with ailments or disabilities that hounded them. But the main reason that Jesus performed miracles was to declare who he was and is. <clears throat> you see, Jesus' power over the created world declared to us who he is, that he is God, so that we may know that in him we may find forgiveness and healing and peace and life eternal, that all of the things that he promises us in him he can fulfill because of who he is. 
And immediately he rose up before them and took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. What are the characteristics of the miracles of Jesus? The first characteristic is that they could not be denied. You know, we use the word miracle kind of loosely today. If someone makes the last second touchdown play, we say, it was a miracle. <laughs> that's, that's not a miracle. Um, if, we, if we get the best parking spot in front of the store, oh, it's a miracle. There's no one there. That's not a miracle. Miracles are the supernatural functioning in the natural world where the natural laws are set aside by the supernatural. And that no, nothing can be explained in the event that could come from the natural world or by the efforts of humankind. That the only thing that can be explained for those events is the intervention of God himself and the power of God to overcome the natural with the supernatural. The characteristics of what Jesus did here is tells us that immediately, immediately he rose up before them. Have you ever known somebody who's been bedridden for a long time? You know what happens when you're bedridden for a long time? If you're even bedridden for a short time, you know what happens? Your muscles begin to, you have, you have atrophy of your muscles. They begin to deteriorate. You lose the ability to function. I don't know how long this man had been paralyzed, but what it tells us is that his restoration was immediate. That those muscles were made whole that his ability and his coordination to stand up were immediately given back to him. And so it says, immediately he rose up. That's miraculous. And he took what he had been lying on and departed to his own house. It was immediate, and his healing was complete. There was no period of time required for that healing to take place. It was immediate. It was the supernatural power of God, and that was the only way that it could be explained. It was undeniable, it was immediate, it was complete, and it was convincing. No one who was there that day could deny that what they had seen was was simply miraculous and could only have been performed by the power of God. It says, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. They were amazed. Matthew says they were full of awe. They were astonished. And and what did they do? They they glorified God. They recognized the power from which these events had taken place could only be attributed to God, and therefore they glorified God. It also says that they were filled with fear. They were filled with fear because they came face-to-face with the power of God, and they recognized, again, their own human frailty, their own human failures and weaknesses, and the fact that they were accountable to an almighty God. They were filled with fear at these things. It says that they were all filled. What about those Pharisees? (laughs) It's hard. They couldn't deny it. They could not deny what they had just seen. But because of the hardness of their heart, they would never acknowledge the power by which those things were accomplished. Again, their logic should have said, only God can forgive sins. This man can forgive sins. 
Therefore, he is God, and we should believe and obey and worship him. John in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why did Jesus, why are the miracles, of, why did he perform the miracles so that we would know who he is? <clears throat> why were they written for us so that we would also believe and have confidence and know that we can trust in him who holds the keys to eternal life, who can provide to us forgiveness and peace and healing and life eternal. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he gave to his disciples, to his apostles, the great commission, in which he said, Go therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That invitation is given to the world every day. It is here for you today if you would, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you would surrender to him, confess your belief here this morning, be buried with him in baptism. If we can assist you with that or in any other way, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.